Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and today on Catholic Baltimore, our special guest is Bishop-designate Bruce Lewandowski, whose appointment as a new Auxiliary Bishop of Baltimore was announced June 10th. The 53-year-old Redemptorist priest has been pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus, Sagrado Corazon de Jesus Parish, since 2015, and has been serving as Archbishop Lori's delegate for Hispanic ministry since last fall. So first of all, I guess uh, the big question is, how did you find out about your selection as the new auxiliary bishop for Baltimore? Well, last Monday, so it was the 1st of June, I was just heading out to the cemetery to do a graveside service, and I got a phone call on my cell. And usually if I don't recognize the number, I don't answer. And that's kind of my general rule. But lately, we've been getting so many calls from people who have family members in the hospital or people who are very sick with the virus. Um, so with that in mind, I, I answered the call thinking probably it was somebody um, who was sick or somebody needed something. It's because a lot of calls are coming in. And um, it, was, it was the papal nuncio. And uh, at first, I didn't believe it. At first, I... I, I I was just listening as he, as he spoke and saying, well, and the, the conversation was in Spanish. So it all, it also kind of took me a minute to think if it's a papal nuncio, he's speaking to me in Spanish. And um, I know that the papal nuncio um, was uh, for many years in Mexico. So anyway, the conversation was in Spanish and it was probably about 11 o'clock or so, just before 11 o'clock on the 1st of June and really caught me by surprise because that was not the kind of call I was ever expecting to get. So your reaction was surprise and then acceptance? Did you? Well, surprise and the kind of the, the thought was, are you sure, I, and I think I said, are you sure you have the, the right phone number? <laughs> and he, said, he says, this is Bruce Lewandowski, isn't it? I said, yes, yes. <laughs> we, we talked just for a little bit because as a redemptorist, I'm very much aware that St. Alphonsus had advised us never to accept these kinds of ministries that it's not the ministry for a redemptorist. And um, if we do accept, it's only through obedience. And so I did say that to the, to the apostolic nuncio. I said, you know, St. Alphonsus told us this. And he said, well, the Pope is the highest authority. And, and I said, well, maybe I should talk to my provincial first. He says, no, 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 the, our Holy Father has, is the highest authority. So <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to consult anybody. So, so after talking for about, about 10 minutes, I, I did accept. And I'm, I'm very humbled and I never saw this coming and just really very surprised. Still, it doesn't seem real. When did you first feel the stirring of a call to the priesthood? I was very young. I, I don't know if many people today have this experience, but I, very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, I had, my godmother was my great aunt. She had suffered a, a very bad stroke and she lived with us in our house, my aunt Hilda. And she would say to me, 
as a as a young child, I'm thinking probably eight or nine or ten years old, she would say to me, "When you're a priest, pray for me," and she would say that all the time. When you're a priest, pray for me. When you become as, a as though it's a fact, me. yeah. As a matter, just like as a matter of fact thing, this expectation is you're going to be a priest. So when I was in the third grade. I actually wrote a composition. You know, we had to write about what we wanted to be when we grew up. So I wrote a composition, and the composition was that um, you know, when I grew up, I wanted to be a priest. And I only started to really think about it seriously uh, in college, even though um, I did go to the high school seminary. So at 14 years old, I went to St. Mary's High School Seminary in Erie, Pennsylvania, and um, was with the Redemptorist there. I grew up in a Redemptorist parish, St. Gerard Parish in Lima, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know there were other priests besides Redemptorists. I thought that, that was it. There were only Redemptorists. And so when they had a trip to the, the seminary, for the eighth grade, I think four of us went uh, on that trip to the seminary, and I loved it. I couldn't think of anything doing anything else afterwards. I, I, I'm, and I'm surprised my parents let me go, even to this day. I'm surprised. I said, what were you thinking, Mom and Dad? You know, I was 14 years old, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the seminary was five hours from our house. It wasn't close by. So, so it was a boarding um, school. I mean, it was, you lived there. Yeah. So yeah. I, I lived at the, the seminary, and it was really wonderful that my parents supported me in that just a great blessing that they let me go. You mentioned in your appointment announcement that you were influenced at an early age by the life and ministry of St. John Newman. What was it about him that inspired you other than being a redemptorist? Well, at first I didn't know he was a redemptorist. I had gotten a a small book um, from my grandmother. I don't know if she found it or she got it from church or someplace. And so I read it and I think I must've read it 15 or 20 times. I was just fascinated one, because it was Western New York and Northern Ohio. It was an area of the country. It was my world in Ohio. I'm thinking, wow, this guy lived in Ohio and he was on horseback and trekking through the woods and in log cabins and reaching out to people who were Catholic, bringing them the, the sacraments. So I was just fascinated by that. And I, I think by the sense of adventure at first, that this was great. I have to say, I grew up on a farm. We had horses and other animals and things like that. And, and so, you know, th- this idea of a priest on horseback really appealed to me, you know, driving through the woods. And, and I could really identify with that. And I thought, you yeah, know, that's the kind of life I'd like. I'd love to be a missionary uh, on horseback going through the woods somewhere and, and, and bringing the word of God and the sacraments to people. That's great. Why did you choose to learn Spanish in the seminary? What was it about that that called you? We had studied Spanish in high school. And um, just like everybody else, I didn't learn to speak Spanish, though, till I got to the uh, college seminary, uh, San Alphonsus College in Suffield, Connecticut was the Redemptorist College Seminary. And we went on a trip to the Dominican Republic. And when I was there, it was the first time, first I ever traveled anywhere, and obviously never been out of the country. And just a whole world opened up to me that I had never seen before of food, language, music, culture, and, and it was just really energizing. And I, I met two priests there that as a, I was still a postulant for the Redemptors, a candidate. I hadn't been to the novitiate yet. And I met um, Father Brian Kennedy and Father Manny Rodriguez and saw the, the work that they were doing there as Redemptorists. And I thought I could do that. I want to do that. This, this is Kind of along the same theme as what I experienced reading a book about St. John Newman. This was real, though. And I thought, I saw my future and I said, I could work in San Juan de la Maguana, which is the place that I went to visit and to learn Spanish. 
And I could see myself going into the campos in a Jeep and on horseback and on foot. Probably a key moment for me was that I walked a hundred kilometers through the mountains of Katanamatia, which is on the border of Haiti in the Dominican Republic with Father Brian Kennedy. And we went from village to village celebrating the mass and other sacraments with people. In the daytime, we would work with people uh, harvesting beans, habichuelas. And at night, we have the mass. And um, I was um, sitting um, one day next to a lady, and I was in Spanish practicing trying to speak. And I said, this, you know, this Father Brian is wonderful. He's great. I said, he knows how to use solar energy to purify water. He knows how to cook with solar energy. I said, he's showing us how to dig wells and find sources of water. He knows basic medicine. I mean, I was going through the whole list of things. He knows how to build a house. I said, oh, he rides a motorcycle. I mean, like all these different things. And, and she said, you think that? She looked at me very seriously. She goes, you think that's great? You, you know what's even better than that? He, he brings us the Eucharist. And, and right at that moment, I just thought, I, I was looking at all kinds of things at that moment, and I said, this is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I want to do with my life. So I, I studied Spanish hard to be able to go back to the Dominican Republic or to Paraguay. The Redemptorists, our province, the Baltimore province, had missions at that time. But uh, they, when I got my call after nation, they said, you're going to, to East Harlem, Spanish Harlem in New York City. And I said to them, I thought I was going on the missions. And our provincial at that time was um, Edward Gilbert, um, now Archbishop Gilbert. And he said, he said, you're going on the missions. That's mission territory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and at that time, many people from Latin America were arriving in, in New York. After the break, we will talk more with Bishop-designate Bruce Lewandowski, who will be ordained as the newest auxiliary bishop of Baltimore, August 18th. We will get a chance to hear about the Highland Town pastor's work in mission territories such as New York, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Maryland, and why his work with Latino Catholics has been so enriching. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Pope Francis has named Baltimore native Bishop Mitchell T. Rosansky of the Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts, as the 10th Archbishop of St. Louis. Bishop Rosansky, a graduate of Our Lady of Mount Carmel High School in Essex, who grew up at Holy Rosary in Fells Point and Sacred Heart of Mary in Graceland Park, succeeds Archbishop Robert J. Carlson. The appointment was announced by Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the Vatican Nuncio to the United States, June 10th in Washington. Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie said he was delighted that the Pope chose Bishop Rosansky to be the next Archbishop of St. Louis. Archbishop Lurie said that, quote, As the people of his native Baltimore know, Bishop Rosansky is a beloved example of a pastoral leader who serves with a warm humor and deep love for the people of God. Bishop Rosansky's assignments included serving as pastor of Holy Cross and St. Mary Star of the Sea in Baltimore, temporary administrator of Immaculate Conception in Towson, and pastor of St. John the Evangelist in Severna Park. Bishop Rosansky's installation mass is tentatively scheduled for August 25th, the Feast of St. Louis. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. 
pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish, or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android, and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today, in print and online, at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org. Like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore, chatting with Bishop-designate Bruce Lewandowski, whom Pope Francis has appointed as a new auxiliary bishop for Baltimore. He will be ordained to the Episcopate August 18th at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen in Homeland. Your work has been in places that we wouldn't consider traditional mission territory in New York, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Baltimore. Why are those mission territories? I have had the blessing, the grace, the privilege, the honor, what I I think is one of the, the greatest experiences of my life of being able to accompany and um, live with, work with, pray with, serve with, celebrate with uh, our Latino brothers and sisters. They have welcomed me as a member of of their community in a way that I never dreamed or imagined. I I find it's mission territory within our own country in a certain sense, as uh, the, first of all, the ministry of of accompaniment, just being there with people and for people, just the, the importance of presence, um, but then also helping in the best way I can to make the, the church alive here for people who speak Spanish and come from different countries and cultures. Certainly in your time at Sacred Heart of Jesus and Sagrado Corazon de Jesus, you've been involved in a lot of issues that some people would consider activism. Parish ID program, more recently the COVID-19 testing for the, the Latino community. Why do you devote so much time to causes like that? I think that salvation should affect the whole person, that as a church, we're not just about saving souls. Um, Souls have bodies and bodies have souls. It's a whole person. And I think that the church should do its best to help people live well in this world, you know, not just to, to live well in heaven after this life, you know. My first pastor, Jim Brennan, Father Jim Brennan in East Harlem, He's a redemptorist now who's in retirement at Stella Morris in Timonium. 
he got me very much involved um, as a young priest in issues of social justice and, and as a matter of faith, that it was a way to put our faith in action and based on the principle of integral salvation, that we, we say we work at salva- saving ourselves completely and totally. By that, I mean, you can't offer the gospel to somebody who doesn't have a house. You have to you help offer them the gospel and help them get a place to live. You can't, you know, give the sacraments to people who don't have food. You know, so here's the Eucharist, but you don't have a plate of food to eat in your house. You know, we want to make sure, you know, we're giving the, the whole full life of the church and that includes um, works of faith and justice, where actions of social justice. Which goes back to the, your early experience in the DR, where the priest was doing all sorts of things of bringing food and water and energy to people, but it yeah. was also important for them to receive the Eucharist. Yeah. That whole person. I, I see it as part of being pro-life, honestly. And when you take the, the whole seamless garment idea uh, of being pro-life, it's, it's really being pro-life in every aspect from conception to natural death and just making people, um, making sure that, that people know how much they're loved and cared for by God. As the Archbishop's delegate for Hispanic ministry and now as a bishop designate, how do you think you can help all the faithful in the archdiocese appreciate the richness of the Hispanic community? I, I think the, the first thing is um, Pope Francis and the whole notion of encounter, we can kind of live in different silos and different worlds and not really encounter each other. And I think one of the beauties of the Catholic Church is that we can encounter each other through our faith in Jesus Christ, our common faith in Jesus Christ. We might pray differently, worship differently, but it's, it's the same belief. It's, this, it's the same Lord that, that we love, that we serve, that we give our lives to. My hope, and I've tried to do this as, as I've been here in Baltimore and other places, is just to promote that, what the Pope calls a culture of encounter uh, in the church, that they're trying to bring people together to, to meet each other face to face, to listen and be listened to, um, to be able to see the face of God in the other and appreciate and, and love Jesus as he manifests himself through the people around us. Since you're in Baltimore City, your parish has not been able to reopen for public masses yet. How do you think your parishioners will react to the news of your appointment? I am, a, I am anxious about that. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of people might show up at the door. And we've been encouraging people to really stay home. Our community has been um, affected very, very badly by the virus. We have a lot of sick parishioners, a number of parishioners that have died still have a lot of prisoners in the hospital. So we just want everybody to, to stay at home. So I'm hoping they will do that. And I'm sure the phones here will be ringing off the hook. Facebook and WhatsApp and all the other uh, social media that we use will be burning up, I'm sure. But I, I think everybody's going to want to show up to church and want to celebrate. And we just encourage them to, to, to stay at home. Now is not the stay time. Well, stay at home. Now is not the time. We'll do that. That time will come. That time will come. Has your family always supported your vocation? My parents um, have been very supportive. My sisters and my brother have been very supportive my whole life. Uh, like I said, I, I was, um, I reflected on it as I got older more uh, in the moment, not so much that my parents let me go at such a young age to the seminary and really, and, and were very open. They said, if you ever want to come home and you find out this isn't for you, that's no problem. Um, you know, it's your life, it's your decision. 
you know, you know, go with it, go with the Holy Spirit, do what you want. I have the blessing that my sister is a religious. She's a Felician sister in Detroit, Michigan, and we share a lot in common. And because we both are religious, we, we've been through good times and bad times together. You know, it, it's good to be have good to be able to speak with someone in your own family about some of the ups and downs of life in the church and in religious life. And it's just a blessing to have. Uh, I have a close family, you know, where we talk to each other almost every day. We're in close communication all the time. And, you know, we're really supportive and helpful to each other. Mm-hmm. And maybe they knew what your aunt knew. It wasn't if you were going to be a priest, but when. So maybe yeah. that's why they were supportive something, as well. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think your ministry might change as an auxiliary bishop? Well, I know that it it will be uh, much broader in range. So the the ministry is now to the whole archdiocese beyond the the boundaries of the parish that I'm the pastor of. There's a bit of a learning curve. I, I want to get out and meet more people. I've been focused on uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus and St. Patrick's parishes. And then as the Archbishop's Delegate for Hispanic Ministry, I've been focused very much on the parishes where there is ministry to our Latino brothers and sisters. And so this, this just makes the family all the more bigger. Uh, you know, it broadens from Frederick and Hagerstown all the way to the shore, and then from Southern Maryland all the way up to Harford County and other places. So it's just a much bigger family that I need to get to know and let them know me. What does it mean to call people to missionary discipleship? I think, and, and, and this is something very simple, and you might, might say you could dismiss it very easily, but to show that we are joyful in the living of our faith is the first step. That we're happy to be Catholic uh, and that we tra- take great joy in, in being Catholic. Um, I think that's the first step uh, of missionary discipleship. And then from the joy of being baptized, confirmed, and one with our brothers and sisters in the Eucharist, to share, to verbalize, to put into words others why I'm Catholic, um, why I love being Catholic, why I love our church. And I I, I think that's being missionary. Um, I I think that most of us, and I had this idea that to be a missionary, we have to go to other places, other countries, uh, places far away. But I, I've learned over the years, uh, you know, because of my own desire to be a missionary, that you can be a missionary right where you live, even in your own home. And it's not by telling people what to do and how to do it. It's more by telling people why I do what I do, why I live this faith, why I'm Catholic, why I follow Jesus, why I'm a redemptorist, why I'm a priest. It's really sharing the joy of the gospel, like Pope Francis says, the joy of, of living the gospel. Have you thought about an, an Episcopal motto yet? I, I thought about it, and um, I have something in mind, but uh, we haven't, I, I haven't told anybody about that yet. So in, in my thinking, it, it's um, from St. Alphonsus, Way of the Cross. The whole phrase is, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. And I, I hear like, often during the stations of the cross. Yeah, right. and I want I, I would like to have the second part of that because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. And you have to break it down. It's either because by your holy cross or you have redeemed the world. That has a special place for me, that mm-hmm. prayer. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we will talk more, of course, in the in the coming weeks uh, before the ordination. But uh, 
for now, congratulations to you. And we look forward to your ministry throughout the Archdiocese. So it's, it's great. Thank, thanks so much. I am very happy uh, to call Baltimore my home and the Archdiocese my home. Uh, it's just a wonderful honor and privilege that I've received. And I'm very grateful to the Holy Father, and I'm very grateful to Archbishop Glory. And I really look forward to working with Bishop Parker and Bishop Madden and, and everybody at the Catholic Center and, and all, all of the priests, deacons, and religious and, and, and greatly faithful of, of this wonderful archdiocese. I'm home. I'm home. Our special guest today has been Bishop-designate Bruce Lewandowski, the newest auxiliary bishop for Baltimore. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. Thanks for listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.